Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Picking up the Batphone this week, fresh off victory at Battleground, and on to the next one at Fusion. Lachlan Conway, how's it going, man? Good, man, but let's just go in another way and go. Uh, picking up the Batphone Podcast today is Nick Hughes. Oh. Uh, my special guest here today in his living room, and I'm here to talk about his return to competition, uh, his win at the Victorian States, his return to super fights. Uh, he most recently competed at Battleground, and how he's managing returning to high-level black belt competition, as well as running his own gym. Nick, thank you for joining me live in your uh, living room today. Well, I appreciate uh, you having me here in my own house as a guest. That's fantastic. What did you prepare me any gifts or anything like that? The gift of my presence. Yeah, it's just the gift of all those compliments. No, I appreciate it, man. It's it's actually been a really interesting run. Like I, I think it, that happens sometimes when you when you talk to people, they sort of place it in a format where because you're doing it, you're living it, you're mm-hmm. just trying to go from one thing to the next to the next, and then someone says, "Hey, this is all this stuff you've done," and you just go, "Oh wow, actually, yeah, I have done that kind of thing." I and I've talked to you about it a little bit, but I purposefully have tried to give myself the hardest matches against against your better judgment and, and Jackie's uh, advice as well. But yeah, jumping back into the the competition pool after six or seven years mm-hmm. out, I didn't want any easy runs because I knew why I was doing it. My whole motivation for jumping into competition again was to bring back the most relevant and modern experience to the students at MATLAB to translate the most relevant information to them from um, what is modern era competition. You know, back when I was competing, the landscape is very, very different now. You know, got three or four mats at a a nationals or a states. Now it's like 10 mats, 10 or 12 at fucking at pan packs or Australia. You know, it's packed. It smells like deep heat and farts. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like an overwhelming heat and like blanket of uh, anxiety as you walk into the stadium. Yeah, that's it. And it hits you. You know what I mean? So, um, I had a conversation just after I had those two matches with Daniel Schwartz at, uh, I think it was actually Nationals last year. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they're like, what was it like? Like, what an experience. And what was, it was pressure. You know, everyone was looking at you. And and I didn't really look at it like that because of the way that I was looking at it prior to actually going in. It wasn't necessarily just for me. It was for the club and it was for the students. I want to give them the best shot at knowing exactly what they need to know when they go into situations yeah. like that. But when I look back at it in hindsight, you know, the everyone stopped for two people that day for Daniel and for Lachlan Giles. Yep. Everyone stopped and everyone watched those matches. So there were a lot of eyes on us and I got a lot of feedback after that about how well I did, even though I lost by submission twice, you know, in my mind. But Again, I didn't look at it as I was doing really well. I was just doing my game and my jiu-jitsu and what I knew how to do. But um, yeah, I I could have jumped back into Masters and didn't. And I actually understand much more now why people do. Five Five minutes is so awesome. Yeah, I've softened a little bit on my stance on that after hearing Link's perspective Mm -hmm. as well. Like he's hopping around doing super fights all over the country i run into, we always are on the same show so Dude, I run into, yeah he's, he's everywhere stalking me he, he's everywhere yeah. like jackie and i went up to sydney international yep. he's there we go up to perth on the battle he's there he's a really good dude yep. but he's a he looks at it very objectively it's like how much can he really put his body through in big tournaments 
uh, 10 minute matches after 10 minute matches. He's doing masters for a reason. He's doing masters so that he can get consistent competition experience, minimize the amount of injuries he mm. may get as he is an older grappler as well. So he can then emphasize his performance on a super fight show. Yeah. Uh, and that's very smart, very smart thing to do. I, I haven't, I wasn't in that boat, right? I was in the boat that was like, I need to, I felt like I was playing catch up. Like I need to get really hard matches against the top level guys to see where I'm at and see where I need to improve. And I wanted to be in the deep end. That's the, in my mind, that was the only way I was going to do it. And I'm glad that I've had that experience now, but I think now it's time to sort of recenter, realign and refocus and get really precise about what I want to do and, and how I want to do it. I love coaching and yep. I love the Matt Love Grappling Academy. All of the people have always made the difference. The students always make the difference. Well, I want to say I commend you for what you did because like you said, you had like six, seven years off the competition circuit uh, and then obviously now jumping in again at Black Belt and having the faith in your technique, what you've been doing over them seven years as well. I find that would be a very hard thing to do to jump back into it at a high level but you've done it so well um the first few were like not preparation but like getting your head back into competition and then obviously eventuating to you winning the victorian state title as an adult which is obviously the most prestigious of all the various state state titles so that was winning a big one for you like how did that feel i guess like after you got your hand raised on the final knowing that you've got the gold how did that feel for you in terms of like, I guess, relief, um, understanding that everything that you're putting into it's working. But yeah, what was what was going through your head after that? Well, that was a, a hard day. Man. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a hard day for a lot of different reasons. Obviously, I was told, uh, I got the call a day before that, that Michael Toyama had passed away. And it completely changed my perspective on what this competition meant. Yep. You know, it went from being... A development type scenario into being a very real and very visceral experience very, very quickly. And <clears throat> putting techniques together in my mind and putting a strategy together in my mind was so far away from what I felt was realistic. I just had to go out there and compete. And thankfully enough, you know, I had a lot of faith in um, Jackie mm-hmm. as, as a supporter and she did everything I I could ever ask for um, in that. But on the day, getting my hand raised, the the reason I got my hand raised is because I came into the match confident, believing that I was going to do well because I sort of let go of the idea of I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. No, it was like, I'm going to do these techniques. Do or do not, there is no try. Yeah, 100%. That's, That's honestly, and you know, I can only hope to get that feeling back as well. But I think all of the other competitions that I'd had up until that point, I was still sort of figuring out my own style. Like yep. we've, we've talked in the past where I'm, I'm a strong analytical when it comes to other people. But for myself, I literally have no idea. I didn't even know what I was good at because yep. as a coach and as a teacher, you often are very selfless. You look objectively outside of your own skills and strategies and you're trying to surmise what other people could do to get better or you know things that are outside of your wheelhouse you're not trying to make carbon copies of yourself you're trying to look at someone else's game and see what they could do even if that's not something that you do so when i started to really understand what my strengths were i began to realize i'm i'm pretty adaptable yep. i'm hard to submit um, I'm a good counterer as well, so I can soak up a lot of offense and then put the grind on and grind through my passing strategies. And, um, and you know, you highlighted to me that 
as I am quite versatile, I don't have to worry so much if I make mistakes because I have techniques and strategies. You're good at wrestling. Back. You're good off your back from a guard scenario. You're good at submissions. You've got a leg lock defense. Um, I reckon that what that means for you is that like you should be comfortable in both scenarios. So you don't have to go out there all the time with like, I need to be here. I need to be here. Wherever the match goes or flows, you should be quite confident mm. in your ability I guess to control the outcome or the direction of it from those sort of positions there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what eventuated in that match as well. Like nothing that was thrown at me mm. uh, was new Yep, and I could read everything that was happening. And eventually I just got a step ahead through transition off of leg lock countering. And then yep. I put some good latch passing together, some good HQ passing and then push through to the mount and, and really just, I just was able to punctuate and, convert on all of the good things that I'd set up early in the match and then just drive it home towards the end of the final, which was really good. And, you know, the the opponent on the day, he was super, super experienced, mm-hmm. man. He's, uh, he's now the head coach of High Rollers. He's just come over from Brazil. He's a Felipe Pena black belt, and he's been... He's just thrown himself into the competitive scene in Australia as well. So I, even after we had that match, I saw him like the next couple of months in ACT and yep. in Sydney. And he was on the Tough Rolls event and he had a match with uh, Jonathan Gracie and stuff like that. So I'm thinking to myself like, okay, right. If I wanted to answer the question of whether I was meant to be in these divisions or not, which in hindsight is probably what I was trying to achieve there. Like internally, that's what I was trying to do. Uh knowing that you are at this level and that you're legit sort of thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, to pick up victories and just be on the same mats with those mm-hmm. types of people, that's internally what it did. And that's why I was trying to get matches with Bob Frias and stuff like that. People are like, that's crazy. Why would you hunt down someone who's going to murk you? It's like, well, I want to know if they can or not. You know, And then being on those matches and being on those mats and having those matches go you know, full 10 minutes and things like yep. that. Um, getting to have matches with George Sotteropoulos and even Shoya Ishigura from yep. Carpe Diem. Like having those matches go... Shoya's good, man. I've trained with <laughs> him fantastic, uh, at man. Bonsai. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like those matches go to completion. There's no walkovers there. It's highly contested. And I watch those matches back and I'm looking at the technique and the choices and the strategy. I'm picking up things from them. I'm picking up things that I'm doing, but I'm watching it objectively going, oh no, I belong here. And yep. there's only really one way that you can figure that out. And there's, you know, there's, man, there's quite a few black belts around. Um, and a lot of black belts from South Australia have sort of, they've competed heavily already. You know, they've, they've not just done their dash, but they've, they've stamped it, you know, yep. they're, they're legitimate and they don't have to prove anything to anyone. You know what I mean? But there's also a fair amount of black belts who have never competed or never competed as a black belt. And I feel like they sort of, they do themselves a disservice in that just to find out what it's really like for them because they know uh, what it you was... had to hear first, guys. Nick's calling out <laughs> any uh, black belts that haven't competed. <laughs> I am not getting involved Dude, in this. Dude, if you're a black belt and you haven't competed as a black belt, come and have a match with me. It's a nice, easy in to like getting back in the training pool. But if I can, if I can look bad to you know get you back in the competitive pool, look, just do it, guys. Like, there's only one way to figure it out. There's only one way to find out. And when you walk the walk things start happening you begin to see things very differently and if we want to lead from the front and give relevant information to the students there's only really one way to do it It doesn't have to be in the adult divisions at pan packs or anything like that it can be in the master's division at states or whatever but i've I've come to really realize these things now 
And I'm glad that I've come to those realizations as well. And I've said it to you, I've said it to Declan, you guys inspired me to actually go out there and do it. If I was going to start a grappling academy, I'm not going to rest on my laurels and think that all of my accomplishments and achievements of the past were enough to ride me through and get students. It's not about getting students. It's about actually aiding those students and actually contributing to the grappling scene as well. And that's something that you've done incredibly well and that Declan and, and Miles and everyone have done incredibly well is you've actually contributed to the grappling scene by contributing an excellent high caliber club with really modern and relevant coaching styles and people who are out there proving that. And it's not just that. What you prove to the students by walking the walk and going on super fight shows and doing competitions is that it's okay to shoot high. And you can actually achieve that. If you go to Beachside, you can get on the super fight shows. If you come to MATLAB, you can get work towards those super fight shows or states or nationals or grappling industries, whatever it is that you want to do. And if you don't want to do those things, that's okay too, but you're still going to get the most relevant information um, adjacent to what your goals are. If you want to be just good at grappling, you'll get that here. But if you want to work towards something achievement-wise, you'll get that here too. It breeds a lot of confidence in students and, a, and it breeds a really strong team atmosphere when there's that level of legitimate credibility that's backed. It, you can feel it. You yeah. can feel it. Um, and the feedback that you get from the students is just, they don't care if you win or lose, man. If you go out there and you're ready to win uh, with humility and be humble in your in your victory, and you're also able to lose graciously as well. That speaks volumes to your character. That's more so what they're looking at. You know, they if you lost and you disappeared for three months, they're like, oh, maybe this isn't the club for me. You know what I mean? Maybe this isn't the person I want to be learning from. Um, but if you can take it in stride and still give feedback to students that's what's super important i say i think i may have said this in the last one knowing at the end of the day like people care about you and what you do and this is for everyone not just me competing all my students no one really cares if you win or lose everyone's got such complex lives so like if someone like you tell your friend you competed on the weekend and they're like did you win or lose like how'd it go you say yeah i won they're like great and they're actually genuinely happy yeah. for you but five minutes later they're back to thinking about their complex lives, you know, what they have going on. Same thing, you tell them you lose. They're like, oh, damn, sorry to hear. Mm. Five minutes later, they're back to thinking about their lives, what's going on there. So, yeah, people aren't as uh, invested in your wins and losses as you think those yeah. people to be happy generally, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, with Emir on the, uh, just with DFC that just happened, you know, he I went just out bumped there. into him. Dude, an hour ago at the airport. Dude, he is one of the best guys we have in the academy, not just skills-wise, but personality-wise as well. And he felt like he let people down. And I couldn't even begin to put into words how wrong that was, you know, how proud of him I actually was. You know, he went out there in a four-man off of like a week and a half notice against a 95-kilo black belt. Yep. Um, and he put his techniques together. He went for his entries. He had buggy choke all yeah. up. You know what I mean? There's so much to be said for someone who's willing to just go out there and give themselves the opportunity and step up to those opportunities. On a know? side note, Beachside members, if you're listening to this, you do have the capacity to disappoint me. So <laughs> I 100% have it in me to be disappointed and 
ashamed of you, so go out there and win everything yeah, from that. But only if your name's Tommy Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, so, honestly, sorry, I, I completely hijacked the intro to this one here with my uh, silly introduction. Uh, what did you want to go over today? I wanted to talk about you, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> You're my guest. This is Lachlan Conway on the podcast. I wanted to talk about Battleground and, and what you've got coming up with Fusion, but yep. just wanted to say with Emir very quickly. Yes. Um, that kind of line of thinking it's very natural and it's very normal but one of the biggest things i said to him is like i'm just happy for you man i'm yeah. just happy that you did this and i'm more invested in you as a person than you as a competitor you know and you as a person this is something that you do this is a cool thing that you get to do for your life so the fact that you actually did it and made the walk that makes me happy for you as a person as a competitor we can go back and work on technique and make you better and um, his drive to get better will amplify his capacity to take on knowledge. So in that way, he'll benefit from the experience because it will streamline his progress. But as a person, I'm equally as happy for him. And I was just uh, super excited for the fact that he went for his game as yep. well. Because it's easier said than done. You can go out there and get overwrought by the situation and just be like, nah, I guess, uh, there's no way I can. Yeah, hidden sides and start playing into your opponent's game. Yeah. Just you're yeah. reacting to things that are occurring out there instead of implementing what you want to do. Yeah, and that could have happened, but it didn't happen. So I'm very proud of him for that. But let's talk Battleground, man. You yes. um just had an excellent victory. And I think that's off the, off the back of a lot of hard work that you've done in the competitive arena in super fights, having experience in those situations really does shine through. One of the things I noticed is you felt very comfortable, whether it was an elevated stage, whether it's in a cage, whether it's on a grounded mm -hmm. mat or no matter where it is, it's you, it's you, your style, your game, every time implementing it. And I know this one was a really big one for you as well, because it, it means that you're on a bit of a roll now. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the way that you were able to go out and dictate the pace, counter everything that he put up and really get really precise. I, I thought it was very good how you do what exactly what is necessary in that moment in time. There wasn't necessarily like this elaborate game plan. You passed the guard as necessary. You kept the pass as necessary. You took the back really, really smooth and you kept it for as long as you wanted to. Yep. Um, what was the experience like in total for you with this event? Um, well, I, I love Battleground for one. It's an awesome event and the atmosphere there, the fact that they sold out tickets like uh, days before means it was going to be like electrifying there. Uh, high production value makes it like you feel like you're alive being out there. So yeah, I was really amped up for this fight and coming off the victory for my last one at Fusion as well, I feel like I had a bit of momentum. That being said, I really did badly want to win this one here. Mm. So going into my fight, Next weekend, um, mm. there's a little bit less pressure, but yeah, uh, it was super important for me to win that one. Um, but also, I was just having a good time out there. I definitely wanted to implement my game as quickly as possible, so I started standing for a few seconds. I'm like, why am I, why am I trying to pretend I want to wrestle here? <laughs> so yeah, uh, like usual, pull guard, sweep, get on top, pass, take the back. I couldn't get the finish. Uh, Bruno was so good at defending his back, it wasn't funny. I spent like eight minutes with a fully locked in body triangle, just squeezing, holding on, and then going for the head, but couldn't expose his neck. I'll give him that. He was really good. Uh, awesome guy as well, but his uh, back control defense was, yeah, really high level. Um, it's funny. I, It wasn't such a cardio burn, that match. I just, like, finished the match, and, like, 
my legs were basically quivering. <laughs> like the, what is it? Um, the lactic acid mm. buildup was just insane. So like I walked outside and all of it hit me at once. I'm like, oh, this feels terrible. And I think you saw me just out yeah, the back uh, puking just straight away after <laughs> it. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm cardio. From a cardio standpoint, I'm fine. But I'm just going to sit here vomiting for a while. And yeah, I was gonna... trying to massage your forearms out just to disperse yeah. some of the lactic yeah. acid. I'm like, this guy, were you going to go in shock? And Jackie was going to have to bring you back. It's fine. I uh, survived. Yeah, you survived on the lollies. That's yeah. why it was all lollies. I gotta stop eating so many lollies pre and post fight. <laughs> like I get the, I get the one kilo mix of uh, party ones, and I just go way too hard on them, way too quick. Not good. Not good. OD'd on strawberry creams. Just yeah, they're good, man. They're good. <laughs> but so, yeah, look, I I think Battleground was fantastic. I've been all over the country, and I've also been international when it comes to being flown around for different promotions. Obviously, a lot for MMA. But you, all, you do see the difference in approach, the difference in production ability and professionalism. And this was really top tier. You know, they were doing sound checks and script checks throughout the day. Uh, George, the organizer, was on top of every variable, every angle. You can see his anxiety just rising steadily. But it, it, it's happening because he's so across everything. Yeah. So if there's any little detail that's out of whack, he's aware of it, which is yeah. very rare for a promoter as well. Obviously, he's delegating and he's got a great staff and a great crew. But he still wants to be a part of that process because yeah. it's his thing. And he has a vested interest, not in just making the show good, but making sure that every athlete had the best opportunity possible to put a good account of themselves forward. And when you do that, you always get better matches and you get a better show. You set up this environment where people can actually thrive as opposed to get overwrought by the situation. Yeah. He makes you feel like you're meant to be there. And that's a huge credit to him. He's super invested. I think I remember saying to you the night of the show, I'm like, hey, check this out. Look at how anxious George is going to be. <laughs> and he was Before too. the show starts, make sure everything's working perfectly. Um, you just get to see his anxiety go through the roof. And I should be laughing at that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I've told you that right before. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we get to see George super anxious till the final fight. And then he'll just be back to his relaxer. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to Jake O'Driscoll for yeah, helping him that night. Yeah. And I believe you stopped in his academy in Perth as well to train yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, we stopped in the on the day of the weigh-ins. Yep. Came in and he um he was running ten, I think it was ten rounds for his crew. He's trying to build something there. He's trying yeah. to build a team, and he's very consistent. Competition in, focus. Yeah, as well. it's yep. consistent in the competition focus, right? And that I think was he really just won off. the Stealth eighty five belt. Yeah, he a did. Guys gone New Zealand. Thirty second knee bar. Yeah, nice job, yeah. man. Well done, Jay. Yeah, and I, I had a little repost just saying good things happen for mm -hmm. good people. You know, he really brought us in and made us feel welcome. Simon Reyes as well gave me his his time uh, on that weigh-in day and also backstage just helping me prepare and helping me warm up and everything. He's a really nice guy and hopefully some more opportunities for him as well in, in the black belt ranks. Um, but yeah, Jake's got a great team. Jake and Bam got a, a great team. We really want to go back there and, and be a part of what they're, what's going on. Anytime we're in Perth, we're going to be going to Essence. Yep. It's, um, it's a really cool vibe there as well. Like, yeah, it is. As soon as you walk into a place like that and you feel that team environment and you get to be a part of what they're doing, it's, yeah, it makes a big difference. And um, along with Jake, there were some other guys. Oh, who were they? The arc from Absolute, of course, uh, Tommy Everett and all these yeah. you know, on the same card. You know, we're seeing people from all over the country that we get to see at competitions regularly, but now they're getting a little bit of an opportunity to shine as well. And there were some really high level matches on that card too. Uh, were there any other things you saw that you liked on the night or you were a bit zoned in? 
I, uh, well, so because I was competing, obviously, and it's a fairly long show, as you're aware, I like to get there, <laughs> go through the rules meeting that you have to be at, and then go home and then sleep again and come back as late as humanly possible yeah, to yeah. do my match. Uh, I don't, I don't love just hanging around the venue for like four or five hours, mm. just getting ready. Cause I guess it's a high anxiety sort of, uh, atmosphere and you're getting ready for your fight. I'd rather just be in my hotel room sleeping or watching something mm. on TV. So yeah, I got to see my fight <laughs> and then I, yeah. <laughs> And your fight, obviously, yeah, which is yeah. fantastic. Blind um, Grappler was cool. That, that, that was, was something awesome. I do yeah. remember. That um, I think everyone in both corners just sort of stopped and watched uh, for that one because that was uh, it felt special. Yep. You know, it felt special from the weigh-ins all the way on the night, and I think it was just a, another indicator of what Battleground are doing. And then they get it, you know, mm. like they get what this shit is all about and what it means to people, and to present that kind of thing on that stage. Uh, I think they're leading the way in that regard. I think a lot of people could take a, a note out of that book. It's not just about all of these guys making a big name for themselves. It's it's about people who you couldn't you could barely wish to understand how much it meant to them. Yeah, um, as well. But yeah, the Wayans were cool too. <laughs> I've never I haven't experienced anything like that in a long time, man. Not not since like the last time I was in Perth competing, like day before Wayans, everyone I, they shove a microphone in your face and you have to cut a promo really quickly. I yep. didn't I didn't know what to say. I was just like, everyone's good. Yeah. Yay. No, it doesn't matter what you say at the Wayne promo because no one, no one watches. <laughs> Who's watching the yeah. Wayans, man? Who's like, there is one guy watching the Wayans. I will say, and his name is Josh Reardon. Like he's just come over to our club. Yep. He was in New Zealand uh, at the time, and he's live streaming the Wayans. It's like almost midnight where he is, and he's like, "Good speech, boss. Awesome job." I'm like, "I love you, Josh." Yeah. yeah. The only reason I'm doing this is for people like him with that level of enthusiasm. But yeah, no, that was good too. Yeah, Jackie and I were at time zone. Um, playing games day of the matches. Um, we were dominating the marble machine and just winning tens. There's actually all the prizes are sitting like just off to the right right now. It's like seven or eight. Pri- You're not meant to win prizes on these fucking machines. But you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jackie has um, shown me the ways of the claw machine. I used to think a, a skill tester was bogus. There wasn't any skill involved whatsoever, but there's a massive amount of skill. There's a lot of strategy. She knows from walking up to the machine looking at how the claw drops and looking at how the prizes are set, which prize is going to be winnable. And even if the machine is a viable machine to put any money into. It sounds like if you know someone who's really into pokies, talking about pokies, you're just kind of explaining <laughs> the same thing. How the just fuck if, does pokies get like... I, people like, this machine's hot, this machine's hot. I know this one's going to pay off or no, no, this one's a dud, this one's a dud. So... <laughs> That, I just feel like you're talking like, about addiction in another in another sense right now. That sounds more like a gambling addict to me. That sounds like well, like there's not much difference in claw drop, <laughs> but I will. Yeah, it's like um, gambling for adults for with for less young cool kids. prizes because money's a way money's yeah. a better prize than a soft toy. Yeah. But I'd love the, to average out uh, how much money you'd put into a claw machine versus how much that toy is actually worth real time. You know who's actually really really stupidly good at claw machines? Uh, Back to him again, Jacob. Jacob Driscoll. Driscoll yeah. yeah, we were talking about it because he yeah. gave us a lift uh, back to our hotel after we trained, and I, Jackie and Jake were discussing the uh, inner skill knowledge of claw machines. Yep. So, for the battleground event, how did you go about doing your preparation for? I know, obviously, you're the head coach at your academy. So, how did you find mixing up 
your own training while teaching at the same time? Like, talk me through how you went about that. Oh, well, in terms of my own preparation, I think I just look at the rule set. Like, it's a submission-only rule set, so I begin to get really clear about my intentions in specific positions, get really crisp on any finishing, like, uh, like low figure four foot lock for leg lock entanglements. I know exactly what I want out of those situations. I know what I want with my passing. Like I'm going uh, right side HQ passing. Mm-hmm. I want a reverse body lock. I want to set up truck. Like I just become more clear with my intentions and I take advantage of the like really diverse training pool that we have at MATLAB. Like a big Roman in near, got Daniel Munchow who's really fast and quick and diverse, but also really good on the legs. And just a lot of people who can help simulate in that regard. But in terms of coaching in general i set up all of the technical things a long time ahead so mm. i have uh not just an idea but a structure and plan of what the i'm trying to do in each session i'm not driving to the academy thinking about what we're gonna try and teach tonight what's wrong with that, <laughs> <laughs> <Is> that <stab? laughs> uh, hey look you know <laughs> each to their own no uh, honestly man that's just the way that i operate that's it's almost like a comfort zone but it yep. also means that i've got that base covered i have a really good um really across the technique that we're trying to get across so going beyond that like did you do your rounds differently? Were you training more? Were you going harder? Were you, like what, what Within you, the yeah. structure of the week, yep. we have competition rule set rounds on a Monday night. So I was doing 10-minute submission-only rounds. Yep. And then on Friday nights for competition class, we do a lot of scenario and strategy work, um, dropping into specific scenarios. And generally, they're points-based scenarios, right? Like, oh, you know, you're three points down. You've, you're in the full guard um, on your back. What do you do? You've got two minutes to figure this out. And we constantly drop you into those scenarios. But towards the end of the night, we always do winner stays in. And generally what we do is a winner stay in of uh, first to five points, right? Which is actually pretty difficult. It used to be first to any score, uh, but it's first to five points or submission so that you know that you have to score twice. You can't rest on the laurels of a takedown or a sweep. Um, and also, if you get scored on, you have to have incentive to come back and yep. compete. But for me, that didn't exist. The only way I could win in the winner stays in was by submission. And if I wanted to be like, you know, alive by the end of the session, I had to manufacture pretty swift submissions from any position under any level of fatigue as well. Uh, but also, the way that I would train throughout the week, my strength and conditioning, I actually made a little bit of an effort to put on some weight because yep. I took the fight under 90 kilos. Um, and I got a lot of comments, a lot of comments. Well, I remember you saying, I'm well and truly under the weight. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, going onto the scales and just making weight. Dude, I was 89 kilos on the day after being 87 kilos the day before. Yeah. Don't believe you. Uh, that's what Check you can ask scales, Jackie. Huh? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm yeah. just good at putting on weight. And then I got accused of having a build like a, a bar fridge, which is very nice of everyone. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think I've been involved in a lot of competition preparation uh, in the past and everyone has a different way of going about Mm -hmm. it, right? Everyone, some people will taper off, you know, a week before and some people will train all the way up to the day. I'm a little bit more in that camp now, I think if you... So when was your last... So obviously Battleground was on Saturday, on a Saturday. When was your last hard session? Last hard session? Last session, I should say. Last... Well, I trained the day before with yeah. Jake at Essence uh, on the on the day of the weigh-in, and I did a couple of rounds with smooth rounds with guys. I I just need to feel like I'm, you know, like uh, I have some momentum. Yeah, like I'm in the groove. I'm in the routine. I'm in the pattern. I don't want to have 
two or three days where I'm not rolling. It's like, even on a general training night, when are you doing your best rolls? Is it your first roll of the evening or is it two or three deep when you're already going and your your mind is where it needs to be and you're trying to, you're in a problem solving mode yeah. and you're getting a little bit more clear about how you feel on that given day. And that's the other thing I've learned a lot about um, is you can, you really need to check what's happening on the day because if you, if you train three times a week, it might just, it might gloss over, right? But if you train six days a week, seven days a week, you're going to feel different from day to day to day with different intentions, with different energy. You might not, you might feel great with your wrestling on one day and then try and do it then, you know, next day or the second day. And it's just, it's not connecting the way you want it to connect. So sometimes it comes down to how you're feeling on the day and what you're connecting with, what what's making sense to you on that day. So I wanted to make sure that I had a really good run of consistency so that I didn't lose anything. Like yeah. I didn't lose any of my clarity that I had gained throughout, you know, the, the process of thinking about a submission only rule set. Cause it's very different to what you might think. Um, and the strategy that we had come up with is like, you've got to get after submissions early, right? If you get ahead, then you're going to try it. You're going to make your opponent feel like they have to the come back. on them if they want to win. Yep. Yeah. And they can't do that with points. So they can't get a nice sweep or get to the mount and think that that, or know that that's going to win them the match. Yep. They actually have to come back with legitimate submission offense, which is harder to sort of manufacture out of nowhere yeah. than maybe a sweep is or a bridge or a yep. pass or something like this. So yeah, it did. It was a different process, but I'm so glad that I undertook it just mentally for myself because all the students got to see what that was like. And mm. then after the event itself, obviously I didn't pick up a victory, but I learned so much about um, how to, well, the process of linking up your intentions and then reconciling that with the outcomes as well and what you actually learn from it too. Like you said, everyone's different in their approach to like the weaker comp up. Yeah, I find that I usually go as hard as I can from the Monday to the Wednesday. Wednesday evening is my last session. Mm. And then I basically do nothing the Thursday and Friday and then mm. compete the Saturday, especially if it's like a super fight show. Yeah. Um, I like, from a preparation point, I like knowing that however long the fight is, I could quite comfortably go at 100% max capacity and still be okay by the end of it. And if I, can, if I know that my prep's been good and that I can do that, I feel pretty confident in mm. myself. Um, yeah, that's my sort of system that I'm doing now, yeah. Yeah, I think you really have to be able to pull the trigger on that too. It's yeah. like you, the number one thing I see people do is when they have their little adrenaline dump prior to the bout, you know, even if it's a big competition, they that's where it sets in where it's like, oh, I could get tired here. Mm. But tired's not the worst thing in the world. Like you won't get tired if you actively conserve all of your energy and do very little, but you also will likely not pull the trigger on yep. opportunities when they arise. So if you come into it with like a good center and you understand that I'm going to have to go here, I'm going to have to get tired. And if I'm not tired by the end of this, then what was I really trying to do here? Um, there'll be a time where you'd sort if you're of... you're not vomiting out <laughs> Alan Snake's at the entrance of the event after your match. Yeah. You know you haven't done everything that you can. But there's the two ends of the spectrum, right? I'm sure you'll get to a point where you're so clear about the parameters of your own victory that you don't need to put a thousand percent into everything. Like in, in my opinion, one side of the spectrum is like, 
the Vertolos, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're not necessarily coming at you with strategy. They're just coming at you with everything that they do all of the time. So when you compete against them, you have to face all of what they are. Whereas like the other end of the spectrum is like a Bodoni or a Gordon Ryan where they're very specific. So you have to face like a subsection of their strategy that's very likely quite adept, yep. right? But they're trying to conserve energy and efficiency. Obviously, they're on the bigger side as well. So, you know, the consequence for them gassing out early in a match is much more drastic than, say, a lightweight who can move for 10 minutes yeah. anyway. Um, but I, I think that if you're not prepared on either side of that spectrum to give 100% of what you've got, then when it starts happening, when you start getting tired, you'll go, oh no, this is bad. Yeah. As opposed to this, you're in control of how much yeah. you're giving. So when you start getting tired, you're like, yep, yeah, this is exactly what I need. I'm going to keep going. I think that starts in the training room. Obviously, like there's different intensities in different clubs, but there'll be a different intensity from night to night as well. People know if they're coming into a wrestling night, if they're coming into a comp class, we're going to push for that intensity. But they also understand that we're doing it for that reason so that you can hit those marks in the training room and try to take your opponent into that place where they haven't been before. And I feel like I can, in saying that, like pull the trigger. I can pull the trigger better if like my warm-ups are good. So I'm coming out there already like having broken a pretty hard sweat. So like I said before my match at Battleground, I did like, two or three really hard mm. rounds with uh, Jake. And beyond that, I was like, right, I don't know if you saw me doing sprints up and yeah. down the back part. Yeah. So I don't like to walk out there without having got to like 100% heart rate at mm. least. So when I do step out there, I feel ready to go. Yeah. Then that's a pretty prevailing <laughs> idea as well. I think for me, it's about managing the adrenaline and understanding where I'm at. Like when I was doing stuff with Simon, it's like, I would go to pass and be like, oh, where am, what am I doing? What's happening here? And it's like, okay, yep, yeah, no, I understand that. The reason why my legs feel heavy and my arms feel heavy is because I'm having an adrenaline response. Yep. And if I can cognitively conquer that, and now I'm like, now I'm moving, now I'm doing my transitions, now I'm doing this. So I just have to unlock in my mind that, yep, yeah, everything that happens, even though it wasn't overly positive, is normal. And now I can move into that realm where I'm going to pull the trigger and do exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I felt like in my match, like, I was too reactive and there was probably two crucial errors that came about from me not doing what I would usually do. I think actually, to be honest, the type of passing that I was doing initially is what I wanted to do mm -hmm. because that's what I do in the gym. I soak up their offense. I break them down. I had a near side underhook that was making it difficult for him to get his attacks going. I didn't say that. I think I was yelling for you to get the underhook. And yeah. I didn't realize that at the time that you had the near side. So I was, yeah. yeah. And that's what I like to do. I, I like to pinning pass through yeah. near side underhook and then get into that over under super yeah. hold. The first couple of times I shot for it, he tried to suck into full guard. So I know I knew I needed to beat the the near side knee, the bottom knee first. And then when I did that, got back into the super hold I didn't give myself any credit for actually passing there as well um, because I pummeled out my second leg from the yeah. half guard. But then because my head was underneath the armpit, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go straight over to the back from here. I'm going to go straight over to the mountain. That was a good here. back take attempt as well. Yeah, but that was my mistake. I think that if I didn't let the rule set rule me and I just stayed heavy on the inside control and knee slid through and pinning past the way I would usually do, 
then that would have gotten better results for me. Because yeah. he bridged hard into that moment, right? Like he took his moment when I shat on my moment. But hindsight's a bitch. <laughs> you can look back and say, oh, it all fell apart here. But like, what if you got his back off that back? Take yeah, take? that's you know, true. Like, it's easier to break that down now yeah. after the fact. But I don't think there was anything wrong with yeah. what he did specifically. Oh, you always try and take a lesson from yeah. it, right? And I suppose the lesson that I took from that is do what you would naturally do. Be mm. in the moment and do what needs to be done, but make that a part of your natural process. Yeah. Um, I was never that, like I was glad that he went to my legs because You're quite especially yeah, I'm comfortable yep. with legs, especially in 50-50 against a tall person. He was going to be very different. If he, it was going to be very difficult for him to off balance me with my, my safe stand and the structure that I had. I knew that he was going to have to reap uh, eventually. And that's what happened. He did reap. And that was going to help me open up for the wedge back take and the bowl attempt. I missed stomp on my wedge. Uh, didn't come up the way I would have liked to, but I went for the bolt cutter, uh, which made him invert really fast and hard to try and re-attack the leg. And then I backstepped, but close to the edge of the mat. And that was probably my second big mistake. Thinking that you could slow down because they might yeah. potentially reset you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That was like, oh, I'm going to stop and try and settle the position so that they can reset us so that I'll have the room to then pass or that yeah. I'm just going to fly off the edge of the fucking stadium next time. Man. I'm just because in that position, I would usually re bolo or re back take yeah. after I backstep. And I do that. Well, 10, 20 times a night, man, like as a natural process, but I'm looking at the edge of the stage and that's what's in my mind. Like, don't go off the edge of the stage. And you know what? That's an experience thing for me too, man. And that's not for you to worry about. That's exactly. the crowd to deal with if they exactly. catch you and the ref to stop. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I got complacent and tried to slow things down and Kingy kept fighting. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't stop. And that's kudos to him, man, because he's been in that position before on Battleground and he knows. Like, uh, and that's what happened. I got triangled off of the transition. Very, you know, very slick triangle as well. Like, I let the legs come through and then instead of him locking up a regular triangle he he locked up a far side triangle because yep. my arm was in an omoplata position hooked the leg quick sat me on my butt and i'm like oh crap and the only thing that was in my mind was like slams are legal yeah. <laughs> could i deadlift him off one leg the answer was no <laughs> yeah but that was good though man but in terms of moving forward your match is in a week's time against Sousa yes. um, on Fusion in a cage. How? What are you thinking? To, and why isn't this a title fight, by the way? <laughs> uh, if, I think the winner of this one will get the title fight next. Okay. So I fought on Fusion, I don't know when, a few months ago mm. uh, against the really talented Colby Allen, uh, leg lock specialist. So mm. that match went well. Um, my whole strategy was don't let him get onto my legs. Mm -hmm. um, and then he got onto my legs yeah. within like the first 45 seconds of the fight. So... <laughs> Strategy is great, but it doesn't always work out. But then I felt pretty comfortable. I'm like, why am I panicking here? I also attack the legs quite frequently. Mm -hmm. So slipped the heel, started instead of trying to pass legs, I went, okay, maybe I'll get into my encounter system here and start attacking his legs. So he doesn't potentially feel as um, safe in those scenarios. Uh, then I managed to pull off the rolling Kimura trap, get to the back, uh, get the finish there, uh, which got me the call up for the next one, which is next Saturday on Fusion. Um, Follow their link in the Instagram, buy the stream, do all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Try to do a plug there. Um, yeah. Saunders versus Menenko. Well. Yes. Yeah. The whole fusion are doing great. They've they got, are. Yeah. Like, I love the, the cage. 
I also loved the production value there. Like, um, I know that they got the TV rights not long ago, so it was mm. streamed on SBS. So I'm this... really looking forward to this one here. And it's combat jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I was going to yes. say, it's a combat jiu-jitsu match. Yeah. Why between you two would it be a combat jiu-jitsu match? I right? feel like they need to get matches for the combat jiu-jitsu okay. stuff. And it's a lot more, like entertaining if it goes the right way it can be entertaining there's no I, doubt i about. felt like your last match was super entertaining with colby yeah but it would be more entertaining if at any point we could have slapped each other in the face oh man that's <laughs> you know it is what it is like you get to see people hit each other at the same time the potential for blood so i find that look i probably wouldn't want to make myself a combat jiu-jitsu grappler so i'm not going to put too much time into it but it is awesome and it's heaps of fun and going back to practicing rounds for it you realize how different it is because you know, in a normal five-minute round, there might be points where you can stop and settle and, like, you know, sort of just get your get your cardio back. But in combat jiu-jitsu, for that entire five minutes or ten minutes or seven minutes, whatever it is, you're tense. So you're on top, you can get hit at any point. You're on bottom, you can get hit at any point. So that whole time, you're just always tense, always, yeah. I find it's a very different style of grappling. Yeah, and given that it's in a cage as well, uh, makes a slightly more sense because ground striking is incredibly useful against the cage, mm-hmm. uh, especially against an elite grappler. Like preparing for an MMA bout, the number one thing I used to see is people, we, we train for strikes on the ground, which changes positioning quite drastically. The onus is now on the bottom person to make their movements as opposed to like the top person passing. But that's when there's elbows and closed fists yeah. involved, right? <clears throat> but with slaps, like you're still going to open up some positions, but you also, you'll open up your own positions by trying to overexert a you're going to create space yep. yeah people slide, uh, slide through triangles and things like this but if you're doing this on the uh, in open field they're going to have more opportunities to quickly stand and to quickly maneuver to quickly get under but if you're if you have a really good grappler and you put them on the cage now we can start landing actual strikes but it depends who's working on the cage who's working their frame stand-ups off the cage who's working under hook stand-ups um who's working on the shields systems for attaining better control positions they call it dagestani handcuff and mermaid now but we've been doing that for a really long time right and how viable is that in a combat jiu-jitsu match and are people do people have people trained enough in that sort of system to have the wherewithal to replicate it in a combat jiu-jitsu match and how viable is it if you can slap i think it's probably not the right word like slap it's an open palm strike right so you can finish people yes with open palm strikes especially if they've never been hit before which is more likely to happen with a pure jiu-jitsu athlete than it is if you're having like two mma guys or a, you know people who have trained in mma going into a combat jiu-jitsu match with each other i think that's the thing that you get you get that dichotomy of oh, i'm gonna be translating my skills to MMA somehow and I'm going to start here with combat jiu-jitsu. I'm not sure if that works as well as people think it might, but it definitely will bring you into the reality check of being struck when you're trying to put jiu-jitsu systems yep. together. Yeah. Well, fuck knows if I'm prepared, but if you want to see, <laughs> tune in this weekend to find out how it goes. Again, man, it should be a title fight, man. I don't know. <laughs> Next one, provided I win. Well, look, you know, it actually... Well, yeah, you know what? Yeah, probably. I mean, at least then there's actual contenders in a division to then go on and fight for a title. This happens a lot. And i com- got to commend Fusion for doing that as well. If you want to build a legitimate brand, you don't just go, here's a title. 
we're going to have two people fight for the title. I remember um, back in the day, I can't remember whether it was Isker or not. It may have even been just a handout that Tom Hunter gave us all, but it was like a blueprint for championships. Yep. Because mm, the coolest thing that a, a promotion can do is put on a title fight, right? A championship bout. Um, it sells tickets. It sells tickets, right? It's awesome. And um, especially if there's you know, homegrown talent that they're trying to promote and they're trying to raise up. You want to put a belt on them um, so that it legitimizes them a little bit more, maybe gets them a little bit more exposure than if it wasn't a title fight yeah. and gets them some more opportunities. But I remember the handout was like, it had to do with the process to become a professional mm-hmm. and then like the process to, to have title fights. So it's pretty logical when you think of it. Uh, you don't just have a title that people then try and fight for. There has to be contenders before there's a championship. So you've got some momentum behind you. You won X amount of fights in a row, yeah. And it, yeah, it brings legitimacy. And that, and I'm talking in the in the context of just one promotion. So you've got this one promotion, uh, and there's been these two people who have been having fights in that promotion in the same weight class. They've won the majority of them, and they both can stake a claim to being the best. So that promotion now has a cause to put on a championship bout to see who is the best in that yep. weight class, right? It doesn't happen the reverse way. Like promotion has a belt. There's two people in the weight class and so therefore they fight for the title. It doesn't go belt down. It goes up to the belt. Um, and then there was another one that was how to, like what you needed to, the eligibility to become a professional. So there was, it was all in the vein of like standard and quality control and safety and things like that. So you needed, I think it was five fights as an amateur and you needed to have a winning record before yep. you then went on to be a professional. And this is all in the context of like kickboxing and Muay Thai and stuff like that. But it, it always strikes me as odd when there's a lot of titles, like there's a lot of title fights and there's a lot of championship belts on one show, but it's a double-edged sword because it does promote the show, but it also waters down the title. Like what what's makes its value? Yeah, what's its value? And has the title ever been defended? Mm-hmm. Is there incentive for the person who wins the belt to then go on and defend the belt? Or was the big thing just the belt? Yeah, and that happens a lot, man. So belts if, do look cool. So they do look cool. But if, like, say you're an M16 has done this perfectly, man. So yeah, you think about build, you have to have done X amount of fights. Yeah. You have to have won. There's like a clear line of who's the challenger, who's the defending person. Yeah, the person defends multiple times, etc. Yeah. yeah, there's lineage and, on the belt yeah. now, man. So like, when you win those belts, you you think of all the people who have held that belt beforehand, and you're now in this elite echelon and group of people who have held this belt and that's what holds the belt up like yep. that's what makes it covetable um and it makes it really prestigious uh, so the fact that fusion have sort of gone down that track of like no you're not getting an automatic title shot that doesn't make any sense you're gonna have to work your way towards this title even though you're a very well credentialed well-known and highly skilled athlete who's had many victories on super fight shows you don't get to walk in and get a belt you gotta earn your way to a belt which yep. is a cool thing to do you know what i mean but if you're declan you can just pick the belt up from anywhere that you'd like <laughs> like if uh you know if two other people were fighting for a belt on that show you could just sort of drop in and just take it from them whenever you want and if they tried to resist you just take their back and choke them anytime yeah he's doing so well right now yeah he's a, he is absolutely like honestly after this last b team trip i don't know who's stopping him at the moment He's just got to put on another 10 to 20 kilos. I'm sure he's got it in him. Like, 
to do the open weight division. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, just to just to. Sorry, the over ninety nine. I mean, not over ninety nine. No, I just I just feel like the bigger Declan gets, the better he gets. Like I don't understand. It doesn't usually work that way. Man. Nah, I think the more he grows that beard out and <laughs> with the blonde moustache, the better that he gets. <laughs> he could be, he could have a Hulk Hogan, like within a year, he could have a Hulk Hogan. Especially if he loses all his hair on the top of his head and just grows it down, grows the rest down to his shoulders. If he can do. 80 cc trials with a with a Hogan, I'd be I'd be pretty fucking impressed. So how did we get to the point on the podcast where we're discussing Declan's hair <laughs> for extended periods of time? It kind of always happens, man. It kind of always happens. Interesting, but no, like, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Declan puts together at the next uh, 80 cc trials in Singapore, the yeah. Australia Australasia one. Yeah, uh, he did so well at the. Uh, Euro ones yeah, um, obviously the Luke Griffiths fight was going to be the hard one it's yeah. almost like the final basically there but before that his uh, performance on like the fights mm-hmm. leading up to the one with Luke were just out of control he looked so composed in his element mm. um, seeing him fight people that he's fought before yeah, and like uh, you know gone to the distance with and then mm. seeing like from a benchmarking point, how much he's improved, how differently he's handled those fights. Yeah. It was really good to see. I think um, specific names as well. Like he fought Daniel Schwartz on M16 mm-hmm. and that went the distance. He fought Daniel again on uh, Henzo Gracie like, fight night on a Thursday yep. uh, in Austin and submitted him quickly. Yep. And that was the same night that happened. He had his first time appearance against Luke Griffiths and Luke was able to overcome him. And the, gap that he's bridged since then putting together his transitions and almost taking Luke's back and you know getting a sweep and wrestle up like that's a huge indicator of how far he's come how quickly he's come but think about also his match with Uros just before that where on Boa they went the distance went the distance and Uros wanted Sish and it's like okay Declan put him away fast man fast smooth back take and choke and this is this is Declan showing everyone how far he's come because he's put so much on the line man and it's a funny thing when when people get behind you in that way like i was a big supporter of him you were a big supporter of him you know miles and adam and everyone in the state we all wanted him to get over there just to give himself the chance or the opportunity to reach the heights that he's now reaching there's no guarantees that when you get over there, you're going to swim in a sink or swim scenario. You have to be a special breed. Brando's done it. Tony Caruso has done it. And Declan has done it. You know, they you put them in a room where they're mid-tier when they walk in. And you give them three months, they're going to be walking out a top five, top three. And, man, it's just, it's astonishing to see. And it's continuing. He's, he's only getting better as we go. I think this ADCC trial's... Singapore is going to be a big day. Yep, Declan. Most definitely. Yeah. I, I can see him taking that one. Mm. Who uh, Are there any other names that we should be looking out for in terms of... Um, if Joseph hadn't have wrecked house uh, in Europe, then maybe we, we would have seen him in Singapore. But, I mean, Kenta as well, coming Kenta, in 77. Ethan Thomas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are they in the same weight class? They are. They're both wow, that's going to be epic if yep. they meet each other. I feel like, I don't know, they're going to do two trials. So they're going to do the Singapore and then the Thailand one. I don't know if it's going to be in Thailand, but they will do two trials they will do for, two. for each area. Yeah. yeah. So there'll be the Singapore one this year and then another trials next year for the mm-hmm. same region. Yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I wonder who's going to try and do 
both or who's going to make the Singapore trip? I think people that are real, like not serious about it, but if they can align everything, it'll be go for the go for a one hundred percent the victory and your ticket at the first one. Mm-hmm. If you don't make it for any apparent reason, you lose. You have another opportunity at the next one. Um, yeah. I I feel like people that are serious about it aren't going to go. I'll do this one, but not this one. They'll be going for each opportunity to get that ticket. Yeah. yeah. There'll always be some dark horses as well. It's going to be. I think from South Australia as well. You know. Um, the young man from 10th Planet. James. Yeah. Really good. Dude, he could make a real play because all credit to them, they've been taking him around to all the ADCC events at uh, nationally in Australia, getting him some experience and time in that rule set. And he has put on some really impressive performances locally and nationally. And he's been coming up with, you know, really rapid skill progression. I'd like to see what he can do. Um, what what kind of run he can have? I'm not saying he's going to win the whole thing. I mean, he'd have to be under 88. Um, which pretty, he's not that heavy. At, is he under 77? Well, it, I, I guess we'd have to ask them because he he's going to make a cut to at 77. Synergy, the 1500 or first place, yeah. and the purple to black belt in the under 85. So I feel like yeah. under 77 will be realistic for him. Yeah, but yeah, James. Watson. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Awesome yeah. to watch. I've seen him ragdoll people at competitions. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, man. We've got to get some more South Australians over there, man. Get a, Is there anyone like in this room? who you <laughs> Get no. over there, man. Get to Singapore. Straight footlocks and people. No, I don't see myself being able to beat Kenta. I don't see myself. I know I can't beat. I've lost to Ethan at Subversion. Um, and I don't see that. I've said yeah. this to you many times, man. You're ne- it's never a foregone conclusion. You're never without a pathway to victory. Like, you can submit anyone. Straight footlock, guillotine, you're rolling on a Kimura trap. Like, there's there's not a reason why you can't do that to them. It's just there is another person there who's highly skilled and they're trying to do it to you. Why don't you do 88? I'll do 88. You're going to go over and do 88? You're going to pay for it? Yeah. <laughs> Any sponsors who want so to sponsor just, me to go to Singapore? Two or three minutes telling me why I need to do <laughs> and reverse the question at you instantly. No, I'm not doing No, I, I actually do want to do it. I just don't have the money. Yeah. Uh, if I'm to be 100% honest, I don't have the money. I've got like two trips in me. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of monetary. And um, I still, Jackie and I still haven't had a honeymoon, man. You know what I mean? Like, I want to take Jackie to Japan and no, have a nice time. Feel bad for us, man. <laughs> but I would yeah, happily. Yeah. You know what I'm like, man. Like, I would. That's the well, type of thing that lights the fire. Why don't you take her on a honeymoon to <laughs> Singapore on the 26th of November this year? That's what people can't see is Jackie's sitting really close to us right now and can likely hear everything that we're saying and just. <laughs> I'm going to get wrecked after this, man. We've had this conversation many times. Like, ah, uh, no, she knows what I want to do. Hey, maybe the um, the next one, wherever it is, if it's in Thailand or if it's in this country, like there's only so much we can really do. And we can't just you know, leave our cats here. Then no one's going to take care of our cats. How <laughs> many cats have you got? We've got two cats. That's... You just can't see them because they're hiding from you because they can smell other cats on you. That's manageable. <laughs> you can get a cat sitter or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're back for another segment. I have to chop up the segments now. Ever, ever since um, <clears throat> Luke Marco and I lost an hour podcast because my phone shit itself, now we chop up into uh, shorter segments. I gotta get, I gotta get Marco back on the podcast. I want to get him a either a big jar of milk or a, a testnik rash guard from Hopper. I think he'd fit it well. Very unique kid, awesome guy, but very unique. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's good, man. I like No, him. no, I've been training with him a lot recently. Um, he's another Adelaide-based up-and-comer that I think is going to make a massive uh, impact on the competition scene. Yeah. I can definitely see him as someone who's going to win a lot over uh, interstate. Yeah. I mean, he's at the blue belt level right now. And his game, without saying too much, his game is very like lower body related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, he's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. He's getting wiser. And he's getting more clear about what he wants as well. It, it sucked. Like he broke his foot at yep. MATLAB wrestling. And his, he said to me, he's like, I tried to do this move. I saw on, <laughs> I saw on a video. I'm like... That's good, <laughs> but you did break your foot off, and I'm like watching it happen. I just went, oh no, this is it's quite a severe break. Yeah, as well. it was really bad. I'm just thinking, shit. Why one of the best up and comers has injured himself at my academy on a visit? Uh, this is gonna go down really well. Super happy about that. No, no, he's actually yeah. I think one of those guys. And there's a few. He's one of the people who's speaking very highly of Michael Heliotis mm-hmm. as well. Heliotis, not just as a practitioner, but coaching style they did a little bit of a fundraiser drive to get him over to the states as well and he chose john danaher over b team <laughs> which is his choice i mean those are the videos that he watches but it'll be interesting what he what he does when he comes back as well i know he hasn't really been inspired by the competitive scene but as a coach that's where his passion lies so i'm looking forward to seeing what he what he comes up with. You've obviously had a lot more contact time with him as well. He's been coming out to your academy. Yeah, um, Raz Moore, a guy that trains out of Adelaide, is going there to see him. And I'm pretty sure that they're going to make the trek down to Jason Rao's academy oh, in good. New York, which is Vanguard, if I'm not mm. mistaken. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, I think Jason Rao is now sort of getting a little bit of the recognition that he deserves in terms of his technique and ability. Unfortunately, he had to run into a massive monster at a... A, a show that we will not name he, today. <laughs> you know, he actually didn't run into him. He specifically requested Polaris oh, wow. to be his first match. Wow, there you which go. Which turned out to not be a good strategy option. No, you know, fresh Kanan. No, no. <laughs> yeah, Kanan was impressive. Um, obviously, all you guys probably know the results, but Conway didn't get a chance to watch it. Today. I know the results, but I didn't get to watch it yet, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to be, be a good... Uh, be able to give a analytical breakdown. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, Felipe versus Owen was awesome. Isaac um, did really well against yep. Roberto. Everyone's very... Uh, I think it was a little bit difficult with the the points. Like, And if you look at what happened with Bodoni as well, like <clears throat> they're very used to having multiple points scored. So if they're in a situation, they can call upon like a sweet pass combo to get them out of the shit. But... Uh, scoring action only equals one, one point. point. So it's like you're going to have to do a fair amount of good stuff to catch up or get a, get away and get above. So it definitely brought about a different strategy. And it's a strategy that I haven't seen before from most of those competitors. competitors. There was a lot of grappling on the feet. A yep. lot of grappling on the feet. And it, it's even with in just thinking about it as I said that, I suppose it would be very a very difficult prospect when you know the names that are on the card, to be like, I'm going to pull guard and I'm going to either sweep one of the giants or I'm going to submit someone from my back. Well, from what I understand, a lot of the big guys were pulling guard against uh, yeah. Hakage because they didn't want to deal with that hip throw. Yeah, they didn't want. They just saw Owen Livesy get like yeah. taken down and Amazing thrown. Amazing judo. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, Hakage hit a duck under and a throw on him. It's yep. like, oh my god, uh, I couldn't believe it. And then he he basically launched. Bodoni off of one of Bodoni's wrestle ups 
with, and he had like 99 kilos on his leg, just yeah. one leg at one time. So yeah, but Kanan was pull guard, man. He was doing his old IBJJF, like pull guard, sweep you, hold you down, press the weight into you. It was very interesting how he dealt with Isaac as well. I think that was probably one of the closer matches that he had. And just the fact that he forced hooks, like he wasn't trying to force half guard straight away. Um, he forced hooks, he, he centered him, he lined him all up so that Isaac's knees were facing towards the sky and he pulled hips close. Like he put two hands on the hip bones and pulled them close just to make him carry a lot of weight through the yep. completely flexed legs. That's an interesting like weight carry strategy that he had as opposed to like maybe a Gordon past the hip line weighing on your upper body. He just put weight through that lower body so that it took all of the explosiveness away. It was good Kanan this week. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's on, how it happens. Switched on Kanan, not um, getting submitted by heel hook by Tim Spriggs Cannon. Yeah, exactly. Like, when he's on, he looks unbeatable, man. Yeah. When he comes in confident like that, he just looks terrifying. But he just has those moments where either he's not confident or something doesn't go his way or maybe he got a little tired too quickly. He didn't look tired. He looked like he was pushing, but he had three matches and he didn't look tired. Like, very interesting. Very interesting. I don't know what's next for Kanan. Like, he had that run in 2020. I don't know what year it was specifically. That he won. I think it was ADCC Worlds Pans. That Spider Invitational, arguably like the best year that anyone's mm. had. Yeah. So where do you go from there? Yeah. When is he going to fight Merigali again? Why not? And what does Merigali do now as well? Who's he fighting next? Well, I guess do the next ADCC and win. Yeah, win. And he's under 99, right? Yes, he is. Oh, so he was knocked out by Craig in the last mm. ABCC in the semifinals, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, day two, first fight. Craig might do under 88 or nothing. Yep. Yeah, that'd be interesting, Craig, at under 88 at this point in his career as well with the type of names that are there. All, all the under 88 names are like wrestlers. Like they're not guard players. He could be a very interesting addition to that, that pool. Like I'd love to see Badoni versus Craig. Like, yep. That'd be amazing. That'd be really, really nice match at under 88. Yeah, I think who's number one is tomorrow. Gordon Ryan versus um, some guy. <laughs> Come on, it's, it's Patrick Gaudio. I don't know why. Why is that match happening? Is it because Gordon has friends who run flow grappling? Or I'm not sure, but that's definitely like a... Like a come back into yeah, it type of match. Yeah, I presume yeah. that's what he was leaning towards when he yeah. either got offered that match or asked specifically for a match around... That sort of level. Yeah. And when we say that sort of level, we're saying like world champion black belts as well. That's the kind of level we're talking about. But aside from that, there's some like championship brackets going on. Like J-Rod, Ash Williams. Who else is in that? There's two other like, or is it Mika? Or is it J-Rod and Mika? And shit, I don't even know. Is it PJ Barge? Like, there's a four-man tournament going on. Yeah, tomorrow. Oh, I just saw Ash Williams wait in for that, like, yeah, six hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's two tournaments going on at the same time. What event's that on again? Who's number one? Is that on, really? Who's that is one? on tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got flow graph. So it says, yeah, it says 9.30. We've got um, regular classes are going on, so we've got 9.30. And we'll put it up on the big screen for whoever comes. We'll just have it running all day because those events go for like seven hours or some yep. shit so we'll just be watching it all day yeah it's going to be an interesting one I don't know any other matches that are going on uh, who knows who's number one can be a little bit hit and miss i don't mind the uh the structure of the rules in terms of like 
It's very obvious that submission attack is the number one criteria. And they declare if whether it's blue or red who's winning. Yeah, open every, scoring. Yeah, which is awesome. Open scoring is yeah. really cool. I'd lo- I mean, I wonder what that would be like to compete in. I think it would bring about a little bit of a different mentality, knowing that the guy can actually catch you up if you start to try and stall it out mm. just based on their willingness to attack um, and their ability to sort of make shit happen. It would really, I've seen it make them push. The only thing, the only time I have seen it backfire is that 20 minute match, or was it 20 to 30 minute match that Ty and Mika had? It was like the end of a tournament for a fair amount of money, and they both got really gun shy. And I remember the ref saying, like, we know who you guys are. Like, we know what your style is. Like, this isn't you. Please do something. It's the main event of our show. We really want this to keep going. That was uh, that was an interesting one. Yeah, who's number one's coming up? Fusion. Uh, the only other thing I'll ask you about this match with Fusion, because I know you don't want to give away a strategy and game plan, but in terms of your preparation, did it change the way you prepared knowing that it was combat jujitsu or in a cage? So yeah, uh, I have been doing combat jujitsu rounds at my gym. So I don't want to do them all the time because... <laughs> <laughs> hey, it looks silly for new people coming and seeing me get slapped and slapping people. But yeah, I uh, started doing combat jiu-jitsu rounds again, um, focusing more on what I'm going to do in the event. Uh, I asked everyone, look, if you want to do combat jiu-jitsu rounds with me, obviously put your hand up. Um, and like everyone immediately put their hand up, which I don't, <laughs> which I don't know if my gym was yeah just there for me and wanted to help me prep for the fight or they saw that as an opportunity to slap me in the face and body and were like, I'm going to jump on that. Have you done any with Declan? No, and I'm not gonna definitely, definitely not gonna do that. Um, but yeah, I've got to do a lot of combat jiu-jitsu yeah. leading into this. Um, you know, training longer rounds in terms of getting ready for it as well. So yeah, just making the prep as much as the real fight's gonna be. I guess you could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember before, uh, I think it was Element Fight Night. Alec Burns, uh, he obviously trains at our gym and at other gyms mm-hmm. too. Uh, he did a, he did one combat jiu-jitsu round with me and that was the only combat jiu-jitsu round he did and there was no more after that didn't like getting slapped by you no no one does i'm just a prick though so it's like i don't give up i got i used to fight mma so you know what i mean so i'm I'm very used to that energy system of like rolling through positions and taking opportunistic strikes and like changing the way you approach someone's guard as well Uh, that's uh, another stark reality of getting struck on the ground things like half guard if you're like trying to do a turn one against someone all of a sudden you've got rid of all your ability to defend your head and they're slapping you in the face you really have to adapt your game for yeah. combat jiu-jitsu yeah some things work some things don't yeah now it's going to be a great one man i'm really looking forward to it you've been on an absolute tear and Thank these you. opportunities don't just sort of occur they don't just manifest out of nowhere you've got to forge your pathway towards them and that's what you've done and i think you've made a very concerted shift from the the tournament work that you did and all of the national and pan pacific titles that you won even you know as a black belt that's the platform of groundwork that you set for yourself and you've now transitioned into like almost a full-time super fight practitioner but you earned your way there you know what i mean like those credentials don't just happen like you work extremely hard to get exactly like yeah like i said starting to compete again this year uh, pulling the wins together and then getting invited to the big show. So that was really good to yeah. see. Well, you were the one who gave me the call, man. If we were gonna, if we were gonna tell the truth about it, it's good <laughs> you, to see you, you gave me same. a call. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, my guest for today. <laughs> um, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I want to say Lachlan Conway gave me a call and said, would you be willing to... F-? And that was it. That was all. He was only able to get out that first half of the sentence. And uh, I just said yes, because I just wanted to... I didn't, I didn't need to know who the uh, opponent was. I just wanted to get on uh, a show and um, just basically be... A guy who carries Lachlan Conway's bags wherever he wants to go, whatever he wants to do, I'll do it. Holds my hair back while I'm vomiting after the match. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's good stuff, man. Well, the last thing, the absolute last thing is um, give you a little bit of an opportunity to shout out all of the fantastic people at Beachside and the grading yesterday. Yeah, well. so um, well, I think we have a grading every three months approximately. Uh, yesterday we had another one. Uh, all grading's uh, big and important, but... This one was awesome because I got to give myself, Declan and Limmy, three of the coaches at my gym. Um, we've been training with Michael Haverfield for 14 years, known for 14 years. So yeah, a long time spent in the sport. So it was really awesome to get to award a good friend their black belt. Um, we also gave Haley her blue belt, uh, another really good competitor from our gym. Seb, his purple belt. And uh, Grace, one of our... I guess teenage competitors, um, her blue belt as well. So, That's awesome. And yeah. Grace will be looking to make an impact now at uh, Panpax coming up as well. Yep, yep. Um, part of the reason why we wanted to do it then was, as you know, there's no white belt mm-hmm. nogi at Panpax. So this means that she'll be able to compete in the next three weeks at Panpax. But yeah, she's been on an absolute tear. It's really good to see her coming into a competition only this year. She hadn't competed uh, prior to this year. Beginning of this year, she signed up and started doing, at 16 years old, the adult division. I don't think she's not got gold in anything she's done this year, except for maybe losing an openweight fight to Haley. Mm. Um, but there's a good a good <laughs> bit of size and weight difference yeah. there. But yeah. Bit of leg length difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I'll just uh, repeat what you said there, just in case people missed it or don't know. There is no white belt, no gi at Pan Pacific Championships. There most certainly isn't. Get your act together, cartels. What are you doing? Don't you want the money? Don't you want the money? Isn't that what you're all about? Anyway, before I get cancelled again. Um, nah, look, man, it's been fantastic having you back on. Thank you and very much. It's been a long time coming as well. The last time you were on, I think you are definitely in the top 10. So we're, we're about to, um, this is the 99th episode of the Batphone podcast. And we're about to go into episode 100. And I'm going to list off the top 10 highest rated episodes. I'm pretty sure you're right up there in the top 10. As I should be. And I'm pretty sure that Declan is like in there a few times, <laughs> which is unfortunate. So people want to hear from people who are good at stuff, I guess. So that's why you're in there and, and Brando's in there as well, but I won't give it too much away. We'll see what we can do. And um, who do you want to see? Who, who should the guests be? Should I bring back the whole NWO for, for episode 100? Uh, you put me on the spot with that one. I don't know. <laughs> whoever's funny and whoever is interesting to listen to, they don't have to be good, they don't have to be bad, they don't have to compete. Just someone that's really interesting to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I'll just get Jackie on then. She's my favorite person. No, it's someone that's interesting to listen oh, to. Oh, man. She, she can't hear you. She's got earphones in. That's fine. She'll she can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, good stuff, man. Thank you so much for coming on today. And look, on to the next. Best of luck for Fusion. I'll be back at Panpax and let's get some more people, some opportunities moving forward. Well, I can't wait to see you compete again at Black Belt. I can't wait to see you do tournaments, like you said, Panpax. And I can't wait to see you on the shows again, man. Awesome, man. Thanks Thank you very much. In. Awesome. Guys, stay tuned. We'll be back same bad time. Same bad channel for all the bad fans out there.